you guys can grab a seat. Um, for You guys probably figured out pretty quick that I'm not Paul. I'm also not Drew. Um, but if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Andrew Basic. Um, I'm incredibly excited to be able to spend this time with you guys. Uh, just to give you guys a little bit of, of information about myself, my, my wife and I and our family. We've been attending Gulfside since, since the launch date. And I've had the opportunity to uh, spend a lot of time with Paul. He's a very good friend of mine now. And he's also been a very good mentor uh, for me. And he's uh, pretty early on, he pointed out like, hey, man, I, f I feel like you have a gift of communication and a gift of teaching. And I want to have you start practicing that gift. And I just kind of looked at him with like deer in the headlights eyeballs. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, but he, he kept pushing me. And I said, OK, I feel like God's pushing me this way, too. So I'm going to listen to what you're saying. Um, so now I take every opportunity that I can to practice this gift because we believe that God is going to uh, use it down the road, what, where, whenever that may be, I'm not sure. But I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. Um, and I'm going to get right into it because I have a lot to talk about. I only have a 28 minute and 50 second timer left and I uh, got a lot to do in that little bit of time. So I want to ask, how many parents do we have in the room? So you guys can raise your hands. A lot of parents. All right. So how many of us have little kids that think we're big dummies and they try to pull fast ones on us all the time thinking that they're smarter than us? Who has kids like that? Oh, not a lot of you. Okay. Yeah, I, I have a kid like that. Yeah. Um, so I have a, uh, I did this to my parents a lot when I was a kid. I was a little punk. I try to get in trouble all the time. Um, but there was one story in particular that always sticks out to me. Um, I was between, I think like five to 10 years old. And I decided that I didn't want to brush my teeth that night. I didn't like brushing my teeth. I don't know a lot of kids that really enjoy brushing their teeth. I was one of the kids that didn't. So I thought it was a good idea to take my toothbrush, climb up onto the vanity, put it up into the top shelf where I couldn't reach it from the ground. And then when, the time it, when it came time to brush my teeth that night, I told my dad that I couldn't reach my toothbrush, so I couldn't brush my teeth that night, and I was just going to go to bed without brushing my teeth. So I think my dad caught on pretty quick with what I was doing. He knew, he knew how the toothbrush got up there because he didn't put it up there. My siblings didn't put it up there. So I love what he did, though. He didn't just give me a smack on the butt and say, brush your teeth. I know you did that. He went out and he got my favorite snack, which was Dunkaroos. I don't know if, you, if the kids nowadays eat Dunkaroos anymore, but I love Dunkaroos. It's this long cookie, sugar, sugar, sugar. It's icing, sugar, sugar, sugar. You dip the sugar into the sugar and you eat the sugar and it's yummy, yummy, yummy. And it's just a great experience for kids. They get hype all over the, and jump all over the place. Um, so my dad took the Dunkaroos, put them up on the top shelf next to my toothbrush and said, if you can get those, they're yours. And I wasted no time. I climbed up onto that shelf the same way that I did before, grabbed them and I got down and I realized what I did. And <laughs> so rather than getting the Dunkaroos, they were taken from me. I got a butt whooping that night. And the next three days, my dad brushed my teeth for me, which we never liked because he always brushed a little too hard. But that was my consequence for being a little punk kid trying to get away with stuff. And that's just one instance of a lot of lessons that my mom and my dad had to teach, teach me. And as parents, we're responsible for teaching kids things such as uh, inappropriate actions lead to consequences. We need to teach them responsibility, teach them manners, yes please, no thank you, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. We need to teach them that stuff. We need to teach them right from wrong. And one thing that I love teaching is 
how to make my kid not be a sore loser. Because when we were kids, we never won anything. My dad, he, he said, I'm going to beat you for as long as I can beat you. Then you're going to get older, you're going to get stronger than me, and then you're going to start beating me, but I'm going to take advantage of this time. And now I implement the same thing. I teach my kids how to not be sore losers because they never win on purpose. So that, those are just some things that parents are responsible for teaching their kids. But the unfortunate truth is that when it comes to orphans and kids that are in foster care, they're missing one parent or both parents, and they don't learn these same lessons that kids in the general population get to learn. Um, but that's where we come in and we get to care for these orphans, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, so the title of today is just Caring for the Orphan. I just want to give you guys some statistics real quick about, um, about orphans and foster kids within the world. So there are 153 million children classified as orphans around the world. There's 17.8 million that are considered double orphans, meaning they're missing both parents. In the United States, on any given day, there's roughly 423,000 kids within the foster care system. And 123 of them are waiting to be adopted. And these are kids from the, from the age of birth to 17 years old. Here, and specifically in Southwest Florida, we have about 19,000 kids in foster care with 600 of them waiting to be adopted. In 2019, about 20,000 young people at the age of 18 aged out of the foster care system. And the state basically just kind of kicks them in the butt, like you're out from under our care and they're left to fend for themselves. And they, they didn't have permanent families, parental guidance, or mentoring. They're just free for all in it by themselves on the streets. And research has shown that kids who leave the system without being linked to forever families have a much higher likelihood of experiencing homelessness, unemployment, incarceration as adults, and being victims of sex trafficking in comparison to youths of the general population. And over 50% of homeless, incarcerated, and child sex traffic victims have spent time in foster care. And unfortunately, human traffickers will prey on individuals that are the most vulnerable. And those are all shocking statistics. Um, but we as the church, as we're going to see in Scripture, we are called to fight for these kids, to defend these kids, to take them into our homes, to meet whatever needs they have. We're, we are called to do that as a church, as we're going to see in Scripture. Um, so the main Scripture we're going to be hanging out in today is James 1.27. It's going to come up on the screen. And this is James, the brother of Jesus, writing this. And if you didn't bring your Bibles, it's there. Um, it says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we're, we're going to be focusing on orphans in this message, even though it says orphans and widows. But for two, things, two reasons, I, I just don't have time to, to get to talking about orphans as well. Um, and... There are some other very specific instructions found in 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 16 that instruct the church on how we're supposed to take care of, of widows. So you guys can go spend time in that if you want, but today, for uh, just wanted to let you know we're just going to be focusing on orphans for today. Um, so when I first read the scripture, the first thing that stuck out to me was religion that is pure and undefiled. I just wanted to figure out, like, what... What does that mean to be pure and undefiled? So I, I did some digging into it. I got into the context of what it means. And what those two words reference is, are a diamond or a precious stone 
whose perfection consists of it being free from flaws, not cloudy, but of pure water. So basically what James is saying when, he, when he's saying pure and undefiled religion is he's saying that it's a demonstration of what religion in action with pure motivation looks like. So my first point, which is going to come up on the screen, is pure and undefiled religion is caring for and loving those who can't repay you. So we see uh, frequently when like, people within the world make a decision to jump into anything significant, they look, at, they look at it with an attitude of, like, what, what's in it for me? Like, what can I get out of this attitude? And we see Jesus teach against that in Luke 6, verses 32 through 34, which is also going to come up on the screen, and it says this, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who you expect from to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount back. When we're stepping into caring for foster kids and stepping into caring for orphans, we need to look at it not with an attitude of what can I get out of this, but we need to step into it with an, out of pure love and obedience to what God is calling us to do. But specifically, I remember we've been doing foster care for about three, maybe four years. And I, I remember a few times where, where these kids tried to repay us for everything that we've been doing for them in our house, houses, or our house. And they, they did this by, uh, they broke our, our coffee table. It's, and I still haven't fixed it yet. It's been like, has it been two years, Keish? It's been like, two, I haven't fixed it yet. But they broke our coffee table. They did things uh, like color on our pillows with a pen. My in-laws had a, a cool, like, mouse pad that had a family portrait on it. They had a kid like draw mustaches on all of them with a pen. So it's like, oh, just throw that thing away. Um, so that they took our wedding photos out of folders and they, and they spread them all out all over the floor. Um, they had scooters in the back seat, didn't care to be careful, take them out of the van. There's a nice big dent in the back of our bumper now. And they've done a lot of things like that to repay us. Um, and my favorite one, I think it's my favorite because I didn't have to deal with it. My wife had to deal with it was there was a, a morning where she walked into the boys' room and she could smell it right away. And you, you might be thinking what I'm talking about. Um, so she, she walked into the room. He's sitting there, no pajamas on. We had to zip up his pajamas behind him, but he was still Houdini and he managed to get his pajamas off, pooped. And you know when kids make mud pies and it's disgusting and they, they like present it to you and they're like, hey, eat this. And it's like, no, it's disgusting. Um, imagine that, but imagine a meatball, but it's made of poop. But it looked like a little donut hole. And like the kid took it and he rolled it up and he like made this perfect circle. We still aren't sure how he did it because he was two. Like it was perfect. But like I said, I didn't have to deal with it. My wife had to deal with it. So it's one of my favorite stories. I think she hates that story. But all this to say is if we go into this, if we go into taking care of orphans and foster kids, with the mindset of what can I get out of it, we're always going to be disappointed. But God asks us to step into caring for these kids out of pure love and obedience to what God is calling us to do. And recently, uh, as I was preparing for this, I heard a quote that, that really stuck out to me. It said, there's no earthly reason why someone would want to be a foster parent. Thinking about it, there's really not. Because the majority of the time these kids go home they go home to very difficult situations 
Sometimes it's a, it's a mended family, but a lot of times they're sent back to difficult, broken situations. And it almost always ends with heartbreak because when a kid has been in your home for a few months to a year to uh, two years or any, anything like that, you, you create a bond. And it almost always ends in heartbreak. So there's no earthly reason why someone would want to be a foster parent. We only do it out of instruction to what God's calling us to do. But throughout this journey, I can say for a fact that we've experienced God's love, God's grace, and his wisdom being poured out into our lives and coming out of us in the same way that we've never experienced it before. So continuing on in the passage, it's going to come up here again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the next part, we're going to focus on what it means to visit. So this part really stuck out to me too. To visit means to take them into your care, to go into their houses and relieve their needs, to speak to their hearts about godly things, to sympathize with them in their distress, to instruct them in divine things and recommend them to God. This really stuck out to me because to visit doesn't only mean to, to stop and pray for them when you think about them, and it doesn't mean just to throw some money at them every now and then if, if you see a need. God says those are good things, but what he's specifically saying in this passage, to visit means these first things. Take them into your care, go to their homes and relieve their needs, instruct them in divine things, recommend them to God, these things. So my second point, which is going to come up, is God calls Christians to visit orphans in their affliction. And we see throughout Scripture that caring for orphans is very close to the heart of God. In Psalm 68, verses 5, which is going to be up there, it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God and his holy habitation. He calls himself the father of the fatherless, and as Christ followers, we strive to reflect that character of God that he demonstrates. And he gave this responsibility to Israel um, in Deuteronomy. And I'm going to paraphrase, but the, the passage said, every three years they were to take their tithe, which was uh, from their produce, and they were to bring it to the villages. And the, the purpose of that was so that they could feed the Levites, the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widows within their towns. They were responsible for meeting those needs of those people. In Psalm 82.3, I love this. It says, give justice, and another, um, another translation says, or defend the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. These are things that God calls us, the church, to do for these kids. And we see several other times in Scripture where God specifically references caring for orphans. In Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 10.18, Isaiah 1.17, Psalm 146.9, Job 29.12, Zechariah 7.10, and Ezekiel 22, verses 7. So after digging into these scriptures and just getting to know the meaning of them better, I believe that God is calling every Christ follower to visit orphans in their affliction. I'm not saying he's calling everybody to do foster care, but I believe that this is an instruction from God that he wants us to find those people that have a need that are orphans and those that are afflicted within our community, within our cities, and I believe he's calling all of us to step into that and meet their needs for them. 
Now, what that looks like specifically, I can't tell you. You guys need to spend time in prayer with your Heavenly Father, with your families, and figure out what that looks like. But I believe that he is calling every Christ follower to do so. And oftentimes in Scripture, we can read it as a suggestion. Like, we should do this in our lives. Our lives might be better because of this. We read Scripture like that a lot, like it's a suggestion. But really, we need to read it as it's, as it's an instruction from God, because that's what it is. And inaction is still sinning. And also delayed action, not acting when God calls you to do it, is still sinning. And one day we're going to have to give an account to God. We're going to have to stand in front of him and be like, mm, I'm sorry, I didn't do that. Like, but he, he, has, he has plans for every single day for us. He has tasks set up ahead of time for us, and we need to act when he's acting us to act. So continuing on in the passage, it's going to come up again. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world, which is what we're going to focus on for this part, to keep oneself unstained from the world. We frequently see in our culture where there's a problem or an an injustice that happens. Everybody screams about the injustice, but then most people just take a seat and they wait for someone else to get up and actually do the work and do something about it. We see that very frequently within our culture. And I I heard a story that that was pretty funny and that it represented that mindset. Um, So has anyone heard the story of everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody before? It's okay if you haven't because I hadn't heard it before too. Um, So this is a story. It's about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. So it's a tongue twister. It's, it's, a, it's hard to think about. You've got to reread it a few times. Um, but the moral of the story is, There was something that needed to be done, and nobody did it. Which is my third point, and it's a simple, straight-up point. It's going to come up on the screen. It's just, don't get caught up in inaction. James, in the same chapter, but verse 22, he says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, I don't believe that everybody is called to be foster parents, to foster care, but I do believe that it is very clear in Scripture that everybody who calls themselves a Christ follower is called to visit the orphan in their affliction and to meet the needs that they have. And I think that this is even more important in the light of Roe versus Wade being overturned because we've already had one run-in with someone who said, well, I hope you're ready to, to take in foster kids. And, and my wife was like, hey, like, we are, we're foster parents already, so ha, first off. But that's, like, that's what the world is going to look at us for. They're going to say, well, if the, church doesn't want, uh, if the church doesn't want abortions, then they need to step up and be foster parents. They need to step up and take care of the orphans and their affliction. So really, it's hard to, to really be pro-life without being pro-adoption or pro-foster care, or being willing to step into the need that's going to be there for these kids. 
One other big statistic that, that Paul and I were talking about when, when we were preparing for this message. Um, like I said earlier, there's 423 foster kids in the United States, and there are roughly, this was in 2020, there were 387,000 Christian churches. So if you think about it, if every single church had one foster family, and then a few churches scattered around, also they had two or three foster families, then every single kid, that's when the foster care system would be able to, to live within a Christian home. Which that's just mind-blowing to me, and it's mind-blowing to me that, um, <laughs> that there's that few foster families around the country. It, it just really blew my mind when we read that. If there, was a, if there was a Christian home for every single foster kid, then that would mean every single kid that's in the system would have the opportunity to meet Jesus while they're with him. They would have the opportunity to get into church. They would have the opportunity to get to know Jesus better as their Lord and Savior. And another statistic that a friend sent to me actually just last night, it said 94% of us that end up accepting Jesus will do so before the age of 18, which makes this time period that we have these kids for extremely important, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. We need to respond and take care of these kids. Three main reasons that I've heard from people that say they couldn't get into foster care. I'm going to list them here. The first one is it's just not a convenient time for us to step up into this, and really we're not equipped. So that was my wife and I's excuse at first, because when we were dating and when we were engaged, we, we talked about it already. We knew that we wanted to be foster parents. She's actually the one that got her mother into foster care, too, because her parents do foster care. Um, so we knew early on that we wanted to be foster parents, but then we waited for about three years. And uh, at one point, one Sunday morning, we heard a really good message from Paul, from Pastor Paul, and we, we looked at each other afterwards and we were talking about it, and we said, like, what have we been waiting for? And we realized that we were just hiding behind the excuse of, oh, it's just not a convenient time. It's just like, we have all this stuff going on. We don't have time to really take care of these kids, but I'm going to be straight up and say that there's never really going to be a convenient time to follow what God's asking you to do. That's always the most important thing. If God's asking you to do something in a season, that's the most important thing you could be doing at that time, is following his instruction and listening to what he's asking you to do. The next one is the foster care system is too broken, which I've said this, I can't tell you how many times. We actually, over the last few months, we've actually been talking about stepping down from foster care for this exact reason, because the foster care system is so broken. And God really convicted me of this. And as I was studying, I felt him speak to my heart and say, is it any surprise that the foster care system is so broken? Simply because Satan knows how close it is to the heart of God to care for these kids, for these orphans, for these kids that are in foster care. So if I was him, I would do absolutely everything I could to make the system as broken as possible and make Christian families turn away from it and not want to participate in it, not want to be in it. And I can't tell you how many people that I know that they, they ended up getting out of it be broken. The system is too broken or not getting into it at all because the system is too broken. So currently, 
I believe Satan is winning that fight. But Ephesians 6:12 it says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of, of evil in the heavenly places." So we're not we're not battling the system. We're battling Satan and him trying to make the system as difficult as, as he can make it. Another quote, which is going to come up on the screen, it said, this was from a buddy as well, says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. So if we just sit back and talk about the injustice of how broken the system is, nothing's going to be done, nothing's going to be accomplished. We need to step into what God is asking us to do. The band can come back up to the stage now. <clears throat> and the, la- the last one, which is something that we're currently going through, is my heart couldn't handle the heartbreak when the kids that I've bonded with go home. That's, that's one that I hear more than any other reason to not get into foster care. And I'll be honest, if it's not the di- most difficult, it, it, it's, if it's not the most difficult, it's one of the most difficult parts. Of, and it's, it's such a hard thing to wrestle with. But on the flip side of that, if that's your heart, then you could be the perfect person to step into, into foster care because these children the ones that are coming in to your homes with their bags over their shoulder, nothing but some shoes and a trash bag, those are the kind of hearts that they need to take care of them. Hearts that would love them like their own kids. Hearts that would break when they go home because they, they need and they deserve that kind of love. So like I said, we're, we're currently going through this last one. We have a uh, a little girl named Griselda. Um, I can't put her, her, her face up on the screen because it's a legal issue. We're just not allowed to. If I've revealed to you that she's a foster kid, I can't show you a picture of her, but a lot of you guys have seen her around. She's a small little Guatemalan girl. And we've had her in our house for about two years. And I wasn't home the day that she got there, but my wife like, sent me a text immediately and said like, that she was instantly in love with this little girl who was standing there with the trash bag over her shoulder. And she just looked scared, broken, and afraid. And that first night, we try to have chicken nuggets and fries because what kid doesn't like chicken nuggets and fries? She sat there and she wouldn't eat and she was sitting there crying because she was just afraid of what, of this situation. And we, we, we all just sat around the kitchen table hugging her and not eating chicken nuggets and fries because she wouldn't eat it. Um, we've been through a lot of ups and downs with her. There's a ton of trauma that's come up over the last two years. And she is our baby girl, Shaylin's best, best friend. So going into this, knowing that, uh, my wife and I were, it's going to be hard, but we, we, can at, we at least understand what's going on with, with her going home. But how are we going to explain that to our little baby girl? That she's just going to wake up one day and her best friend's going to be gone. Our heart breaks for this little girl who's going to be going home to a not great situation. 
there's still stuff going on that we consider injustice and we consider brokenness, but really it's outside of our control. So we're just praying for God to reveal anything he can reveal and to do his will. But in the midst of all that, I can thank God because, so every time uh, the last couple of weeks we've been playing a song called I Thank, I thank God, and in the middle of it, it talks about hell lost another one, I am free. And I can sing this song over our, our foster daughter, Griselda, because one day when we stayed home from church, like <laughs> we should have been here, but we stayed home. Uh, we had communion and it's funny how today's communion Sunday, it's ironic how God does stuff like that. Um, <laughs> she sat down, we were reading and she started asking questions about like, what is that, what's happening? And we started talking about Jesus and how he died on the cross and how he's her Lord and savior. And that day we prayed and she accepted Jesus into her heart. So looking back at this, I can say, I thank God because hell lost another one because she's been set free and her eternity. Yeah. Amen. Come on. <laughs> um, I know her eternity is safe even if we're not going to be directly there to take care of her, her heavenly father who loves her abundantly more than I could ever think or imagine is going to be loving her and taking care of her every step of the way. And I can't thank him enough for that. So Psalm 147.3 is going to come up on the screen and it says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Psalm 34.18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So our hearts are breaking right now and they'll, they'll be broken for, <laughs> for a little bit. But I can trust that God is going to hold true to that promise that he's going to restore our hearts and he is going to get us through this and he's going to bring another little kid to our door little trash back over their shoulder. And hopefully we get to witness to them in the same way that we got to witness to this little girl. <laughs> One more passage, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's promising that he's going to get us through this really difficult season. And I trust in that promise. And I know he's going to follow through in that promise. And we're going to come to the other end. And we're going to be able to love on another kid just like we loved on this little girl. <sighs> Taking the journey into foster care, it will make you lean on Jesus like you've never had to lean on him before. And the last thing that's going to come up one more slide is going to come up with just some information on it. This first one, One More Child, that is the organization that we're licensed through. These are licensing agencies um, that need foster homes. Even though we told them we're full, they still reach out to us with, with kids with, um, with a matching tool, asking if we can take more kids. And we're like, we can't right now. And we're taking a break. But they need more foster families. And like I said, the top one is for one more child. And they just ask you to email them with, with the questions that you have with information and just say that I'm interested. And the other one is for kids. It's another licensing agency. And they just ask that you text your name 
and your church for info about fostering. Like I said a few times, I don't believe that every single family is called to get into foster care, to take kids into their home, but I do believe that every single Christian is called to visit the afflicted in their homes, to go to them, to care for their needs. I believe that he's calling each and every one of us to do that. So we need to figure out exactly what our next steps are. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I pray just for the people in this room who you're tugging on their hearts. God, I I pray just for a boldness and a bravery to take steps forward in what you're asking us to do in this season. And God, if there's anyone who feels like they're on the edge of their seat and they're not sure if they want to step in or if they should step back, God, I just pray for a boldness to step forward and to ask questions and to get involved and figure out what it looks like. And God, for every, every orphan, every foster kid out there, I pray it's a blessing over their lives. I know they are extremely close to your heart. You love them beyond my comprehension, beyond anything I could ever even imagine. I pray for them to find a family who is willing to take them in with all their brokenness and demonstrate the, un- the kind of unconditional love that you give us, even when we mess up time and time again. God, I thank you for everyone that is taking steps forward in this. And God, we love you, and we praise your name. Amen.